Well, hello, strangers. <laughs> Those of you that have waited for a very long time for this episode to come, it's been, what, five months or so since the last episode, and I could give you a litany of reasons as to why that was, but it all boils down to just life. All that said, I do want to just tell you that I'm so happy to be able to give you guys a new episode today. Um, people over on Patreon have already had it and been able to enjoy it, but um, for you all who are who are more the broad audience, you're finally getting to see it again, and I figured, hey, October's here, it's a perfect time for us horror genre fans to get started back up in this uh, this lovely little scary podcast of, of mine. And thank you for listening, and thank you to the, to the lovely reviewers. I've had just some incredibly kind things that, that you guys have said, and in the comments and in the reviews and in the ratings and and I am incredibly grateful for all of those. I read them like several times if I'm having a bad day. I just go back and I read my this present darkness reviews. And um if you're so inclined after this to to you know send me a rating and a review, feel free. I I would love to see more even if it's not, you know, a perfect score or whatever. Please, please feel free to be honest and tell me what you honestly feel. I normally do not have to um, and, and don't issue content warnings going into an episode, but this, this one's a little different. Um, this one does deal with some very sensitive themes, and I just want you to be aware of that if you are sensitive to things like suicide or gun violence. I mean, we all are to a degree, but if that's something that's problematic for you, um, or uh, violence involving children, it, which which is, it's not a big part of it, but there is a reference to that as well. If any of those things, and especially suicide and, and gun violence, if those are going to be things that, that are going to cause you issue, feel free to skip this one. I will take no offense. In fact, I, I hope that you do what is best for you as you go into this. But otherwise, enjoy this next episode of This Present Darkness. Hot mic. Check, check. Test and audio. One, two, three. All right. Uh, it is April 17th. I am down here at City Hall, and I have just started the tape. Um, some of the things I'm curious about, there's a... My name is Jacob Browning. What you're hearing is audio that I recorded back in 2006. I was a uh, senior in college. I had been working on a documentary about our local news station. It was something of a big deal in our town, and <laughs> well, it sounds corny to say, but I had always sort of dreamed of being a news anchor on this little station of ours. And I say little, we weren't really a, a tiny town, but we weren't a big town by any stretch. Regardless, I got bit by the journalism bug real young, and I couldn't get it off my mind, and so here I was decade or so later writing this story a story that I never got to finish a story I don't think I'm ever going to finish not after what you're going to hear it was right toward the end of the year it was uh, April 15th I remember it I had an envelope come to my room opened it up just to have my first name on the front and when I pulled it out, it was just a, a little 3x5 index card. And on it, it said, City Records. 
bin 32A, file 2750B. And just underneath was scribbled a few words. Watch the whole thing. The whole thing was underlined. This is a story worth knowing. Turned it over, looked everywhere inside for a signature. There was nothing. It was completely anonymous. I had no idea who sent this to me. I guess somebody just thought, since I was working on the documentary, maybe this was something of use to me. Maybe I should have stopped then and used my common sense. Probably should have seen some warning signs like the fact that this was about the news station. Why wasn't it in the news station archives? Why was it down in city records? I remember I went down, I went and found it, and I turned it on. And when I did, it was this digitized video of an old newscast from our station, dated 1985. And what it looked like was a, a control room monitor. You could see every different camera angle in one corner of the screen, and then you could see the control room. There was a little camera or something set up in there. You could see the audio waveforms and the histogram. And that was it. You could basically survey the entire station from this one screen. Up on the set was two people sat. A gentleman on the left had a nice suit on, and he was the interviewee. And then there was a, a young lady on the right who was the interviewer, and I, I had never seen her before, never even heard of her, which was a little odd, given I had known just about everything there was to know about this station since its inception. But the gentleman's name was Mark Wiley. It is a name I will never forget. He was there apparently as an expert on social issues. He was a psychiatric professor at a neighboring town. He was coming on to discuss a series of killings that had happened back in the early 80s. A suspected serial killer had been touring the surrounding cities and it never seemed to hit us, but there was kids disappearing and they could never find him. He starts the interview by talking about how it's affected our little city. All the things he's noticed, all the little changes. He said he lived with his wife and kids down the road. He said he'd been teaching as long as he could remember. And then he started acting strange. That's the only word I can use. It was not nervous. No, he wasn't nervous at all. Just odd. Unsettling, I think. Just as he was beginning to go into the next segment, you could see the script up on the TV monitor in one of the screens. He went off script. You could see some minor panic ensuing in the control room, but they let him go, and, well, i let you hear some of what he had to say. Have you heard of Willis Ekbaum disease? It's named after the physicians who discovered and diagnosed anxietis tibiarum, more commonly known as restless leg syndrome. Sir Thomas Willis, in 1672, 
and again by Carl Axelekbaum in 1944. It is quite difficult to relate the experience to someone who has not suffered its torturous, tickling pain, much less pinpoint how, why, or where its nervous system is rooted. But Dr. Willis rightly described the effect when he said, the diseased are no more able to sleep than if they were in a place of greatest torture. Indeed, the rate of somatic morbidity is so high in these patients that they are treated as though they are mentally the most severely afflicted amongst those with more acute personality and mood disorders, those among us we might call disturbed. And in this way, it is similar to those with lifelong tinnitus or sciatica. These are conditions that we can observe the effects of and at least partially understand their origin. Because we can physiologically interact with them. But I wonder, if we were to physically manifest the mind of a murderer, a serial killer, what would we find? I'd argue we would find similar patterns that we find in these patients that suffer these lifelong, terminal, unrelenting, painful diseases. Take these kidnappings, for instance. What is at their root? If we were to take and find the body of Maurice James, if we could locate him, do you think we could get to the bottom of why he was so brutally eviscerated? I do. I think it's quite clear to those who can see it. Quite resounding to those who can hear it. Quite plain to those who can read it. This isn't some insane person. The person who's been doing all of these killings, they grew up here. They walked and talked and shopped and kissed and drove and ran and laughed and cried under these same stars. But their life was not the same as their peers. Their inner monologue is such that the call of violence rings as an ever-present tinnitus or sciatica or anxietis tibiarum. And it can only be muted or relieved in the throes of its consumption. From the earliest recollections, nearly every memory is accompanied by its unrelenting, droning, haunting, enticing, and ruthless melody. Magnify them across a lifetime without any support, without any medical intervention. And suddenly, the mind of a killer doesn't seem so out of the ordinary. We wouldn't expect any of these people with RLS 
or tinnitus to just simply wish away their pain, to ignore it and say, I won't give in to that. I won't cave to the impulse, into that call to madness. No, we understand. We can empathize even if we've never felt it before, ever. So too we must understand the mind of those who are afflicted, not physiologically, but mentally, spiritually. We must work to understand them if we are to help them. They are not sociopaths, not all of them. To be sure, they are not the same as their peers. But they are not so different as to be beyond feeling or indifferent to kindness or compassion. They are capable of great empathy, especially towards those who hold similar measures of suffering on their own shoulders. And their rage is an unsearchable blaze against those who would prefer not to trouble themselves. That is what I hope to accomplish here today, Miss Williams. I want your listeners, your watchers, your audience, our community here, our innocent, naive, blissful community to understand that not everyone's life is theirs. Not everyone is free to dream, to live a normal life. At least, not without the most exorbitant measures to appear normal to their friends, to their family. But I know that simply speaking of these matters won't do a thing. I've come here today because I believe I have the only effective way of communicating this. To make people get it. To make them see. To help them understand these murders. But beyond that, to understand these murderers. To care for them. To think of them. So, I'll tell you this. If you want to find the body of Maurice James, simply take a walk down our main street. His left molars are in the flower bed in front of Mrs. Bleeker's ice cream shop. His right leg is in the backyard of the temples. Our dogs are always roaming about and barking at whoever comes by. His heart is buried deep in the reservoir there at the edge of town, and his head, well, uh, <laughs> his head is in the chicken coop behind old Farmer Cooper's shed. There are others in Seymour Park, mm, Rushmore Lake. And I know what you're thinking, Miss Williams, I know, I know. You're doubting my sincerity. You're wondering if this is real, this surreal moment. I would assume your viewers are doing the same. I can assure you, it is. Look at me and see a man that you think you understand. 
and know that you do not. Know that there are many like me. They are right here among you. And if you continue to ignore them, if you continue to villainize them, they will be a blight on this town. At this point, panic had broken out into the control room. You can feel the tension on the stage as Miss Williams, the interviewer, and the producers all pause and stare for a moment at Mr. Wiley. You could see they were shuffling desperately to try and shut down the interview. It appears as though Mr. Wiley thought they were broadcasting live, and I'm sure much to the relief of the people and the producers in the room, they were not. It was to be a pre-recorded segment. And then Mr. Wiley reached into his coat pocket, pulled out a 45, put it straight up to his chin, and he pulled that trigger. I yanked my headphones out and began to feel nauseous. My head was light and spinning. I had never seen anything like that before. Not in a movie, not in real life, certainly. I don't know how much you know about your news history, but this ain't the first time somebody's tried to off themselves on camera. A couple of times they succeeded before, and I think that's what Mr. Wiley was trying to do. But, but it's about one of the worst things the human mind can endure to watch. My eyes drifted reluctantly but shortly back up to that screen. Blood, brain matter, bone, human pulp scattered across the set. Everybody running, just running. I don't think they knew what else to do. And I couldn't help but stare. couldn't hardly accept that what I was seeing, what I just saw, was real. And there was a dead silence, whereas before there was the hum of the generators and the lights and the small feed of the control room whispering into their headsets and the histogram spiking left and right and the audio waveforms going up and down. There was just utter silence on this grim visage. And what's more, there was not a soul to be seen. And then something on the screen caught my eye, some small flicker of movement. Little waveform on Mr. Wiley's lapel. It picked something up. I was staring right at him. The man was dead, dead as a doornail. There was no hope of him ever coming back. There wasn't nothing else there to make any sound. 
I reach down and grab my earbuds real slow. I didn't know what I was going to hear. For all I knew, it could have just been natural functions of the body as life leaves it, but in my heart I knew it was more than that. Williams. Is anyone here? I can't. Having trouble seeing. Hello? Hello, who is, who is there? I can, I can just barely make you out. Who are you? Boy, I said, who are you? seconds of those last terrible sounds people re-entered the scene paramedics, policemen the mayor of the town all rushing in to the grotesque scenery some vomit upon re-entry paramedics rushed to the body Ain't nobody in this town ever seen anything like that before. Couldn't have expected them to react much different than they did. God bless those men and women who did pull that body down. Had more courage to do it than I ever would have. Now, you may be wondering what I did with this information, with this file, 
I ain't never heard about this interview. We all heard about the killings, but then it just sort of went away. Nothing ever came of it. But as I thought, I did realize I had never heard about them kids ever being found. I did a bit of digging in the remaining month. Mr. Wiley, as it turned out, had killed his wife and children that morning before he went to the station. Them bodies were sitting there waiting for the police as soon as they got there. But they were killed in a... Mm, I don't know any other way to say it, but peaceful way. But they found some of that DNA Mr. Wiley was talking about, right where he said it'd be. Those parks, that lake, the reservoir, the ice cream shop, they found it. And then they erased it. Erased it from our town's history. So my witness neighbor made a report that they hadn't seen the Wileys in a bit. There's a police report from a neighbor that had reported that the Wileys hadn't been out in a long time. They hadn't seen them. They had tried to knock on the door, but to no avail. And they were concerned. Apparently the mayor paid them a personal visit to explain the situation that Mr. Wiley had gotten pulled away on a family emergency and had sent Mrs. Wiley and the kids up to her mother's ahead of him. And they wished the town and community well. And that's all there is in our town's archives to talk about that man and what he'd done. So when you ask me what I'd do with that recording, well, the first thing I did was stop my recorder and play it over again. And when I did, I didn't hear anything. Not a thing. I rewound it again and again. I fast-forwarded, I paused, I played. I turned my volume up as loud as it could go. There wasn't nothing. Only place you can hear it is on that recording of mine. And whoever wrote me that note, they knew. They seen what I saw, they heard what I heard. They experienced this just like I did. Left it for me. I carried this around with me for nearly a decade and a half. So the truth is I ain't done nothing with it. Sat right here on my computer. On a flash drive. If I hadn't listened to it a thousand times, I might as well have listened to it at ten thousand. And I ain't no more sure what to do with it now than I was the first time I heard it. So I'm leaving this for you here.
can't carry this burden no more. I ain't fit to do so. I wish I was. I may be a coward, but I just... I can't. So you take this. You do with it what you want. I'm deleting the file forever. Getting rid of it out of my life, I don't need it no more. It taught me everything I need to be taught about human nature and about myself, about my community, about the nature of the human heart. So, I leave it up to you to decide if this is a story worth knowing. If this is a story worth telling.